Right. Thank you, church. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. Well, I'm looking out across the, uh, just while Hunter was wrapping up there, just looking at uh, everyone out here, and I was just thinking at how, how different our church looks um, compared to nine and a half years ago when I first, first started coming here, and I think, uh, you know, but I was looking, and there are a lot, of, a lot of the same faces, you know, a lot of faces that I've seen for almost 10 years, and then there are many new ones. Um, you know, some of us are much taller now, right, kids? Uh, some of us are <laughs> much thicker now. Uh, maybe some of us are thinner now. Uh, and we're all, we're all older now, for sure. And so, boy, just a lot of... Um, so many things that God has done over the last, over the last 10 years for me. I, I just kind of, I refer to it as 10 years, even though it's not quite. And uh, I don't know, I'm just kind of rounding up, Anthony. It's just kind of, yeah, it sounds better. It sounds a nice square number. So if we, uh, if we were here till December, and I'm spitting already, if we were here till December, it would be 10 years. Uh, December 2013, was it, Steph? Yeah, December 2013, we rolled in here, we... We rolled into, the, well, we, we flew, we didn't roll, but uh, into, uh, I think into L.A., did we, no? Where? Vegas? I'll never do that again. I'll never fly into Vegas and drive to Fresno. It was just not, not good. But we stayed in that extended stay hotel there on Shaw. It's, it's out here uh, around Shaw and Marks, I think. Um, and... Um, Boy, I, I, we came in, you know, with my young family. My, my kids were way shorter than me. Um, now they're all taller than me except for Lydia, and she's coming in hot. Uh, but, boy, I was, I was very, uh, my wife and I, all I knew was the great north, you know. All, all I knew was northern Michigan, and uh, it's a lot different. If you've never been there, it's a lot different than Central Valley, California. So I was pretty naive to the California way of life when I rolled in here. You guys were patient with me, uh, but I was following God's call. I knew God had directed us here through various circumstances, but, you know, over those years, God has changed me. He's changed me. Um, I joined the Red Wave. All right, go Fresno State, go Dogs. Um, I became a disappointed Raiders fan. Um, now Saints fan, maybe. Um, I learned what tri-tip was. Yeah, and I, I plan to carry that on for the rest of my life. Um, if I can find a tri-tip on a deer on venison red, we'll be okay, all right? Because they, they just don't sell it up in, the, up in the frosty north, but we'll have to harvest our own tri-tip. Um, and I interacted here in Fresno, I interacted with way more stray cats than I ever wanted to. Um, it's, a, it's an epidemic here, I'm telling you. Uh, don't think it's just my neighborhood. I remember when we we uh, drove into that extended stay hotel on Shaw. The cat, the feral cat, just kind of made a V for us as we drove into that parking lot. I'm not kidding, am I, guys? We were just like, what? Is this wildlife here? And um, it's just, yeah, Landon and Erica, uh, they were staying at our house for the last couple of weeks before they, they took off. But they, uh, they did a cat count. Uh, they took a walk around the block and did a cat count, and they, they saw 16 16 cats just around the block. And so, anyway, those are the ones they could see. You know there's twice that many in the bushes. So, anyway, maybe it's just me. Whenever I talk about the cats in Fresno, I, 
I don't get a lot of affirmation with that, but maybe it's just me, but there's a ton of cats here, people. That's not normal. <laughs> so anyway, I own a cat, so we keep ours indoors. <clears throat> and anyway, he's coming with us. We'll repopulate the north with cats, so. Um, not with my cat, but anyway. So guys, um, uh, but on a, on, a, on a more serious note, um, I gained an appreciation for, for diversity here. Um, you know, culturally, northern Michigan is uh, very white, very, um, very set, kind of a set in their ways, and I gained an appreciation uh, for people of different cultures, different skin colors, um, just the beautiful patchwork that this area has. Um, I gained a love for different perspectives, different perspectives on various things uh, across the board. My kids grew up here, and in many ways so did I. Um, my wife and I experienced the deep, painful, beautiful work of God um, like we never had before. So thanks for sharing these years with us. They've been rich, um, they've been challenging, um, they've been beautiful. My heart is full of gratitude. And that's really the spirit that, I, uh, that we depart with, is a spirit of gratitude. Thankful for, for all God has done, um, for everyone that God has used in our life, for the people that we have been able to influence here. Thankful for all of it. And, um, yeah, so I was telling the guys, uh, Red and uh, Hunter and Daryl this morning, um, you know, it's, uh, I, I plan to stay friends with you guys, so, you know, don't, uh, don't unfriend me on Facebook or write me off. Uh, I'm sure we'll be back around. Um, Fresno's not really a neighbor, neighborhood jaunt for us, uh, you know, from northern Michigan, but we have reasons to be back over this way, and Lord willing, we'll see you in the future, but um, I'll be here for another week. Stephanie, um, Marshall, and I, we're, we're uh, taking a trip down uh, the coast to Big Sur, kind of on our bucket list. Want to make sure we hit that before, before we leave the great state of California, and, uh, but then we'll be, we'll be flying out in about a week, and Stephanie and the other uh, two kids will be flying out a little earlier here this week. So uh, looking forward to all God has for us down the road. Well, guys, for our text this morning, we're going to look at an interaction that Jesus had uh, with a woman, and uh, her, she's identified as Mary of Bethany um, in John's account of this story, and uh, consequently, Jesus had this interaction with Mary and then also with his disciples. And uh, this event, it's recorded in all four of the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but uh, the details between the four accounts is, the four records is a, a little bit different. They vary in certain aspects. And so there's debate, you know, I was kind of looking into that. Uh, there was debate as to whether all accounts are describing the same event or whether there are separate events at play. And we could get in the weeds with that um, a little bit, but there's really no need to this morning. The point of today's message is most clearly seen in the books of Matthew and Mark. And... Um, and so we're going to uh, look this morning at those passages, and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump into John at some point here. Um, but the context of this event that we're about to read is uh, the time just before the Jewish Passover. So it's, it's coming down to the Jewish Passover and then the Lord's Supper, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, and Judas's betrayal of Christ, and then moving right into the cross of Calvary and all of the events surrounding that. So this is kind of, if you, uh, if you could think of it, this is kind of like the calm before the storm, this, this, uh, this time where Jesus is in the city of Bethany. He's in the house of Simon, 
and they're sharing a meal together, they're having a dinner. And that's where we, we pick up uh, this story. So we're going to be in Matthew 26 here to start this morning. Matthew chapter 26, and I'll have you uh, uh, jump to that passage. Matthew 26, we're going to look in, in verse number 6. Uh, so remember, this is all kind of the prequel to all of the events that would unfold just before the crucifixion of Christ. And uh, in, in my Bible here, there's kind of a title to this story, and it's called The Anointing at Bethany. And so we're going to look here at Matthew chapter 26 and verse 6. The Bible tells us that while Jesus was in Bethany, at the house of Simon the leper, a woman approached him with an alabaster jar, very, a very expensive perfume. She poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw it, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This might have been sold for a great deal and given to the poor. And we'll read the rest of this passage in a moment, but let's, let's jump to the account in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 14. Uh, you can turn just the next chapter over, Mark chapter 14 and verses 3, 4, and 5. Again, this is the anointing at Bethany. While he was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came in with an alabaster jar, very expensive perfume of pure nard. There's a great word we don't use anymore. Uh, she broke the jar and poured it on his head. But some were expressing indignation to one another. Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they began to scold her. As God allows, guys, I want to uh, deliver some thoughts today regarding this story through a, a message entitled, Worthy of Waste. Worthy of Waste. And this is, uh, this is something that God began working in me for, uh, for several months now. I was, I was reading a book by an old Christian who's since gone to heaven named Watchman Nee. And he has a book he wrote called The Normal Christian Life. I read this book last year, and it's, it's really a, it's a journey through Romans in the very last chapter of this book. Um, this story, I read of this story, and, and, and um, Mr. Nee gives comments on this story, and God used this portion of Scripture to so speak to me about the worthiness of our Savior. And as soon as I read that, and God, God really... Uh, impacted me deeply with it, I believe that he directed me in, in that moment to bring this message to you today because it, it's, so, it's so deeply impacted me and I, I pray that it will um, affect you as well as we look at the worth of Christ and the, this idea of waste and how those, two, um, how those two work together as we value the sacrifice of the Savior. And so, Worthy of waste is what we're going to uh, be speaking on this morning. Let's pray together, and then we'll, we'll jump in. God, thank you for your goodness and grace. Lord, what a, what a privilege it is, God, to witness your work. Lord, to be the recipient of your work. God, to be a conduit of your work. Um, but Lord, it's all your work. And God, I thank you for this story that is recorded for us here in the Gospels. And God, I thank you for the, the, the things that you have done in me personally through it. And God, I pray that you would enable, uh, Lord, these words that are spoken this morning, the, the thoughts that I bring, the, the, the truths that you have given me, I pray that you would 
that you would relay them now to my dear friends here this morning. Uh, Lord, if I, just, if I just go at it here and, and give it an old try, Lord, I, I know it will fall short. But God, I know that when your spirit imparts truth, when your spirit reveals truth to men, God, uh, it, it changes things. And so God, would you do that today? Uh, Lord, we trust you, we lean on you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Waste. Guys, what is waste? Uh, I mean, there's, there's different, um, there are different aspects of waste. And sometimes we, we think of waste as refuse, uh, something that's left over and you're just going to throw it away. You know, you put it in the, the green bin and the blue bin and the gray bin. That's not a Michigan thing either. I learned that real quick, that the colors are, mean something. <laughs> and uh, so, um, but, but, but that's waste. That's, that's stuff you don't want. And so, you pay to have people take it away. And that's really what waste is. We think of it that way sometimes. Something of no value to be discarded. However, in the context of this story, uh, the disciples are using the word waste to describe a disparity of value. In other words, what they're, they're saying is that the, the value of this does not merit the resources expended on it. And when that happens, we say that it was a waste. You know, if I had $1,000 and I went and bought lottery tickets with it, um, that would be a waste, right? That would be a waste uh, unless I got the lucky scratch, right? Um, doesn't happen for most people. But, but, you know, in my mind, I would look at something like that and I would say, well, that, that was probably a waste. For some people, it may not be, but there are uh, tons of other examples we could bring. It's, it's when the value of something is not equal to what we spend on it. That's waste. And that's what the disciples declared when... Mary, who comes into the room when they're eating, uh, this, the Christ and the disciples, and uh, they're eating dinner, and it says that Jesus is reclining at the table. That's kind of the way they did it back then, you know, laying down, low table. Not the way we do it today. We have chairs. But uh, he's reclining at table, and in comes Mary, and she take, the Bible tells us she has this perfume. It's spikenard. It's a, it's a kind of a spice, and it was very valuable. And she takes this, and she pours it on Jesus' head. Um, other accounts, this is one of, the, one of the variances, other accounts say that it was on his feet. Um, I would imagine if she poured it on his head, it made it down to his feet as well, pretty much soaked him out. And the Bible tells us that Everyone was looking at this situation and, and was just taken back by it. Uh, the Bible tells us the fragrance filled the room. And as the disciples are looking at this, they have a response. As Judas is looking at this, he has a response. So we'll look at that in just a moment. But the disciples here declared that the value of the perfume itself exceeded the value of the one on whom the perfume was poured. Think of that. Now, I can't imagine, I, I, I can't imagine that the disciples, I almost feel like they, they probably kind of were shooting from the hip on this. Because anyone who spent time with Christ surely knew of his value. But I think it was their gut reaction when they saw this happen. They saw this, um, this, uh, this perfume. The Bible tells us it was 300 denarii. And if you, if you look that up, you can, you can see that the typical... Uh, the typical wage for a worker, for a laborer in that time, was about 
one denarii a day. And so if you calculate that, you know, taking maybe one day a week off, maybe working five or six days a week, you're going to have about a year's wages there in 300 denarii. And so this was a very expensive uh, commodity. And Mary was not, from what we can tell, she was not a wealthy woman. Most likely this, this, uh, this perfume was an heirloom, perhaps uh, some sort of something that had been in the family for a while. It was very costly, and yet she, she pours it out on Jesus. And the disciples say it was a waste. Why was this waste made? Let's look first of all at, let's look at Judas's response to this. Uh, now we're going to jump to the account in John, uh, John chapter number 12. Uh, Judas saw this, and you guys remember Judas was, um, Judas was a follower of Christ who was not a believer. Um, he was going through the actions and the motions of following Jesus, yet his heart was dead. And we see this in chapter 12, look at verse 4. The Bible says that, that one, uh, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, Why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal a part of what was put in it. Judas was a thief. He wasn't, he wasn't a believer. Uh, he saw this expenditure as waste. However, in his eyes... Anything spent on the Lord would have been a waste. He didn't value him. And this is the perspective, guys, of the lost world. Of this, this world who is dead in their sins, would see, uh, they would see an expenditure like this from a believer as waste. They would consider it to be waste. To this world, Christ has value only to the extent to which he can improve their lives. Right? He's identified by the world as a, a pious character who holds a place in history as one who did good deeds and said religious things, but he has no real significance or value to them personally. Uh, Judas wanted to improve his own life with a nice cut of the nard sale. <laughs> right? Strange phrase, but that's, that's kind of what he, he wanted to cut. He wanted to sell this and he wanted to keep apart for himself. He wanted... Ultimately, and we know this because ultimately he betrayed Jesus for money, right? It, that was coming very quickly. To the world, Jesus is simply leverage. Um, though he'll be part of their lives if it will help them in some way. If being religious and, and having some sort of a, um, some, sort of, uh, some sort of a relationship, some sort of a surface um, relationship with this religious figure, Jesus, if they can leverage that in some way to improve their lives, many people are for that, but they don't really want to have any sort of abiding, deep relationship. But how can they? Um, to a believer, it's not surprising that this lost world does not value Christ. How can they? Their eyes are blind, and they're dead in their sins, just as we were. Christ's worth can only be revealed to them by the Spirit of God, as he draws them to himself, opens their eyes, and raises them from death to life. But let's not dwell too long on the world's valuation of Christ, however, because really it's both anticipated and predictable. Right? This, world, this world that is lost is dead in their sins. They are not going to see the value of Christ. But what is most remarkable 
about this passage is the response of the disciples to Mary's expenditure of perfume on the Savior. The disciples' response. And I want to look at that this morning. And guys, just a side note, I feel myself sweating up here. I sweat so much. And so my goal is that these sweat rings will reach all the way down to the bottom of my shirt. And if that happens, I know that I've, I've preached well. So um, this morning, I hadn't even gotten here yet, and I'm already sweating, and it's just what I do, guys. So um, I don't know. It's kind of gross, but I live with it. So anyway, just, just figured I'd put it out there. I think Hunter sweats too like crazy. So I've watched him pre- preach, and it's, those rings just get deeper and deeper. So if I can soak the whole shirt, I'll have done okay. So just, just figured I'd throw that out there, and I'm just going I'm pretend, I'm to pretend it's okay, all right? So um, in any case, uh, we see here that, that the disciples witnessed Mary's lavish gift. And the Bible says, guys, look, it says that, that they became indignant. That word indignant. And I knew that that word indignant was, like I knew it kind of, I, I thought it meant like mad, you know, maybe a little bit ticked off or just like there's an uncomfortable nature to it, but I went ahead and looked it up. And that word indignant means feeling or showing anger or annoyance at what is perceived as unfair treatment. Indignant. They were annoyed because they thought it was unfair. How many poor people could have been helped if we would have sold this? But instead, Mary, you dumped it all out and now it's gone. Um, in Mark's gospel, he records the disciples' valuation of Mary's perfume at 300 denarii. And we've talked about that. It was probably in family inheritance, maybe an heirloom. But in any case, when she poured the whole bottle out onto Christ in one action, it annoyed the disciples. Because in their eyes, this treatment was unfair. You see, the disciples were approaching this value proposition much like we do today, which is to judge value by use. By use. In this world, gains and losses are calculated in digits, in decimals. Human reasoning wants to do math. We want to look at that expenditure and think, man, it could have been this way, but instead it was this way and it was a waste of the disparity of value. The disciples observed the situation, did the math in their heads, and declared that the perfume had not been used appropriately. How many poor people could have been helped had this perfume been sold rather than poured out? And so we have, we have Judas's response. Didn't make sense. Um, he could have leveraged it for his own benefit. We have the disciples' response. Didn't make sense. It could have been used to, in, in much uh, more efficient ways. And so they made that clear in their reaction. But what was Jesus' response? Guys, let's look at this in Matthew 26, verses 10 through 12. Aware of this, and I read that the other day uh, again, and I thought, you know, Jesus is all, always aware of this. There's not a moment when he's not aware. And that, that holds true today. He's aware. God, a God is aware. But aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? Hey, they were annoyed with her, but he said, why are you annoying her? Why are you, disciples, bothering this woman? She's done a noble thing for me. You'll always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. By pouring this perfume on my body, she has prepared me for burial. And then, guys, in a striking escalation of significance, Jesus drops this on them. Look at verse 13. 
Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Wow. Let's stop and reflect on that. Jesus says, he not only rebukes the disciples and Judas, but he takes it further by elevating the significance of this action by Mary to the same level as the gospel itself. He says, hey, wherever the gospel is preached, this is also going to be told. What's been done here is going to be, it's going to be brought up. We're talking about the gospel here, friends. This is the, the bedrock of our faith. Right? This is the backbone of what we believe. It's the only hope for the world, and Jesus declares that wherever the gospel is proclaimed moving forward, this act of Mary will also be spoken of. It's incredible. It's really incredible. And here we get into the meat of the message today. Why was Mary's action so significant? Oh, we know it wasn't about the perfume, right? It wasn't about the spike nerd. If it was, there would be a run on spike nerd, right? Everyone would be wanting to buy this up and, you know, pouring it on the pastor's head and you know, we'd soak Pastor Darrell with it and it would just kind of be this, it'd be this big thing and, you know, the world might be a better, more pleasant smelling place, but I don't know that it would really have any, any other effect. But today, today, no one even knows what spike nerd is. It's just a weird word. You know, nard? What, is that lard? Is that, you know, I, what is that? Um, nobody knows what it is. So it wasn't the gift itself that was of the most significance here. It wasn't about perfume. Remember, uh, the perfume was not handed to Jesus. It was poured out onto Jesus, right? Mary didn't hand her the gift, and, and now... Now that value was Christ to use as he desired. That, that's not what she did. She actually expended the whole thing on Jesus. It was wasted. It was wasted. So here's what, that, here's what this is about. God measures value not by usefulness, but by yieldedness. Why did Jesus say this about the gospel? And, and why did he say that, um, that wherever the gospel is proclaimed, that Mary's actions would also be spoken alongside it. They'd be told in memory of her. He said that because Mary had demonstrated the actual aim of the gospel. You see, the gospel is not primarily about satisfying sinners through salvation. Although that's a, that's a byproduct of it for sure. The gospel is preached that the Lord may be satisfied. God is not interested in how useful you are. Why? Because God is not looking for people to work for him. God is more than capable of accomplishing the work he desires without us. If Christ's value is only measured by our work for him, he will be consistently undervalued. And, will he, and we will fail to ascribe him the worth due his name. So, so Mary has demonstrated in this, in this action, she has demonstrated the actual point of the gospel, which is not that the poor be fed, which is not that... Uh, not, not even that souls be saved, although we understand that that, that that is a byproduct of the gospel. The gospel is about Christ being satisfied. It is about his chief end being, being realized. And when Christ is satisfied, then and only then are all the, comes, all the things come with it. The salvation of sin, the drawing of sinners to himself. The work of the kingdom is advanced. But it is when Christ is satisfied. And that, that is what Mary demonstrated. When she poured all of that out on Christ, she demonstrated that worth demands waste. It demands waste. 
You see, there's only one number, guys, that satisfies the Savior. You know, we, we want to do math, and the disciples were saying, hey, 300 denarii, that could have gone a long way. That could have helped X number of people. But 300 was uh, just an arbitrary number. There's, there's really one number that satisfies God, and that's 100, 100%. All. All. Not effort, but rather waste. Now, for many of us, including me, simply hearing those words stirs in us an internal panic. Well, God doesn't want effort. He wants all. He wants 100% of us. Oh, you know, we, we start, to, start to kind of buckle under, under that weight because we hear it like God is only satisfied with 100% of us to mean I got to get serious. I got to get, really get after it this time. I got to do more and run harder because God needs all of me. But guys, listen, that, that's human reason. That, that's, that, that is our logic. That is the disciples' logic at play. Uh, we are not human doings. We're human beings. And God, if we are to work for God, we must first waste upon God. Um, you see, don't you uh, understand and know this, that we can never, we will never work um, and labor to 100%. Right? We're not going to do that. Um, because that, that measurement, uh, measuring the, um, you know, the amount of work and the length of work and the, the effort that is expended is an endless give and take. And, 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 and the measure of that is so nebulous. No, God desires all. And that is what Mary gave. That is what she represented. She, she represented the all that she had. All that she had was poured out on Jesus. Guys, the greatest work that God will ever do will not be through you. It will be in you. It will be in you. Listen to Philippians 2.13. I I think it's up here. Philippians 2.13, For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to do. Both think to will and to work according to his good purpose. I'm not preaching inactivity this morning. I mean, we, we see here that Jesus said wherever this gospel is proclaimed, I mean, built into that is activity, right? He says the gospel is going to be proclaimed to the end of the earth. And he chooses to use us as vessels to deliver that gospel. So I'm not preaching in, inactivity this morning, but what I am preaching is that Mary has demonstrated here that before activity must come a pouring out of ourselves onto Christ. Must come a realization that all that I have already belongs to Christ. And here's something that God's given me in recent years. And guys, I hope that this will, this may, it may seem a little bit, um, a little bit different, but I believe that, that if you think it through with me and allow the Spirit of God to um, work it in you, maybe over time, maybe not just today, that it will make sense and that he'll really minister to you in it. But, it. but it's this, do you owe God? Do we owe God something? Think about that. Um, Jesus paid it all. And there's an old song, All to Him I Owe. And I've thought about that and I love the song. I'm not, certainly not against it. 
It's ministered to me. And I know that it, there's a sense that, that we, um, we know that Jesus sacrificed everything for us. And our natural response when, when a great sacrifice has been made for us, our response is to give back, right? And I think in, in that, kind of in that vein, it's, it's, it's easy to think that Jesus paid, it, paid everything for us. We deserve death and hell. We were dead in our sins. Jesus came along. He made us alive. He, he brought us, uh, he clothed us in his righteousness. He made us join heirs with Jesus and he, he gave us everything. And so now I owe God everything that I have. And I know, I'm sure that there are aspects of that, that that we could embrace. However, think about this. This is something that God is working in me. He's still working in it, still working it in me. When, when Jesus, if Jesus paid for my sin, he did not simply transfer the debt from Satan to himself. He did not do something for me so that I would pay him back. How frustrating is it to, 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 to believe that you owe a debt that you can never pay back, which you're going to die trying? And there are so many Christians who will, they, 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 they're so grateful for what God has done for them, and now they believe that somehow it is their responsibility to show their gratitude by paying him back with as much activity as they possibly can. And so they're quick to jump in the hamster wheel of, of activity. Squeak, 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 squeak. And, and just going and running. Because they, and it's all, it's, um, it's not coming from a heart of, many times it's coming from a heart of gratitude. I know, it, that's been my life. It's been my life. God, I owe you everything. I want to give back to you. But... If Christ owns us, guys, uh, then he owns everything that we have already. We don't work for Christ because we owe him. We waste upon Christ because he owns us. Jesus paid it all. I no longer owe. Think of how relieving that is. Jesus paid it all. I no longer owe. His blood covered all my sins. It, it washed my sins away. And I am, I am forever, eternally grateful to, the, to him. And we can say I am in his debt. I mean, I, I wouldn't, you know, I'm not going to get upset at that phrase because I know what people mean. But I want you to, uh, what God is working in, in me is that, that Jeremy, I, I paid the sin debt for you. You don't owe me anything. I, I, I infused my life into you. You, I gave you everything. You don't have to work for it now. I've given it all to you. And you are free to, you are free to simply respond to that gift. I own you. I own you. And you are my child. And you, you I love you because you are mine. And you are in my ownership. If Christ owns us, he owns everything that we, that we have. We have nothing that exists outside of his ownership. I had a renowned artist do some sketches for me this week, and I want to show them to you. First is, um, first is a, a pair of hands with something in them. Guys, can you cue that up? There it is. The renowned artist was Lydia, my daughter. So she drew these hands for me. Um, you didn't sign it, though, Lydia. I'm a little upset. But anyway, uh, they, they were, th this is representative of our hands and that 
innocent looking block of nothingness there is our possessions. So picture your life and, and your life is here in all that you own, your, the, the things of this earth that you own, your devotion, your, uh, your, your life, your house, your resources, everything that you have is right there in your hands. And then jump to the next one, guys. Now picture that these are God's hands. And your hands are in God's hands. Your, your whole body, your, your, all of you are in God's hands because he has purchased you, he's bought you with a price. And all of you is in God's hands, right? So nothing exists outside of God's hands. If God owns you, he owns all that you have, right? Right? I showed the third one, guys. Some of us sometimes live our lives kind of like this. Like somehow God owns us, but there are things that are outside of God's ownership. That somehow we're holding things that God doesn't own, and we're, you know, over our life, we're going to slowly give those things back to God as he works in us. And I just want to propose to you this morning that that's not the way that it is. We're not slowly releasing parts of ourselves to God's ownership. God's ownership. No, he already owns us in everything that we have. And Mary understood this. Mary understood this. She didn't have this relationship with Christ, and then on the side she had this spike nerd, you know, that she was kind of holding for her retirement. No, no, she knew that, that she was God's, and that everything that she had was God's, and so she had no problem stepping forward and expending all of it on Jesus. And the disciples and Judas saw it as waste. But God said, no, no. No, look. Look at how important this is. This is just as important as the gospel. Wherever the gospel is preached, this will also be spoken of because Mary has demonstrated the aim of the gospel, which is not that the poor be fed, which is not even that sinners be drawn. The aim of the gospel is my satisfaction. And when we accomplish that, when God is satisfied, then we are satisfied in him, and the gospel sees its fruit. And that's the point of the story this morning. Everything Mary had, all of her, was his, and she wasted it all on him. I shared this with the guys earlier this morning, but perhaps one of the most striking truths to recognize this morning is that the one who calls us to waste leads by example. In the most epic display of disparity, the only begotten Son of God was delivered to this earth to waste his life for us. God wasted his most precious possession in one massive expenditure of love. Think about that, guys. Jesus only lived 33 years on this earth. And during those 33 years, he only, you know, he, he, he had 12 you know, twelve. he had the 12 that, that he poured into. And I know he preached to thousands and he did many miracles and, and yet his life was cut short and he died in shame and apparent insignificance in the eyes of many. You know? Um, the, Jews, the Jews were looking for a Messiah that would lead a rebellion, that would uh, shake off the Roman rule and that would... That would um, that would rally, uh, rally people around himself and, and would, would bring the kingdom of God to where they thought it should be. And yet this Jesus was, this Jesus, they saw him as an imposter and 
and this life that ended ultimately in this shameful death and sacrifice that didn't make sense. What a waste. Yet we know the significance of it. And we know that God expended all that he had on us. That's the God who calls us to waste. And the fragrance lives on. The fragrance of that, of that expenditure, the broken body of Christ, it lives on. So guys, um, many times uh, at the end of a message, you have a call to action. But today, um, my call to action is really a call to admission. Not as much action. I'm not calling you to give your all to Christ. I'm calling you to recognize that your all is already in his hands. Jesus paid it all. He has already purchased your all. So our response this morning is not one of determination to give more or do more. Rather, it is to present ourselves to our owner with empty hands. And I want to talk uh, just for a few minutes before we wrap up this morning about the road ahead. The road ahead. What is the path forward for Fresno Church? Um, you know, perhaps there's a number of ideas as to what the path forward should be. And I don't really have the answer for that. I don't, uh, I don't know exactly what God is going to do. I don't know exactly what he's going to do in my life. I don't know what he'll do in yours. I I don't know exactly what he's going to do with Fresno Church. Um, But I can tell you, I I don't have the answer, but I can tell you the posture with which we should move forward. And the posture is represented by empty hands. It's like this. Uh, My time here at Fresno Church has come to a close. But Fresno Church was never about me. It wasn't about me. It existed before me. Um, I was sharing with the guys this morning, you know that, that, that Mark Ermler, Pastor Mark Ermler, uh, didn't start this church. God did. He may have used Pastor Mark. He may have moved upon him in various ways, but this is God's church. God started this church. Joshua Ermler didn't grow this church. God did. Nick Minerva didn't pull this church together. God did. And Daryl Watts isn't leading the church through its next steps. God is doing so. Um, and whoever the next pastor is, they will simply, if, if they are the kind of pastor that this church needs, they will simply be doing God's bidding. They will simply be yielded to whatever God has for this church. So we approach that, understanding that it is God's work. Our best approach is open hands. God, what do you want? It's your, this is your work. This is your church. The path ahead may be unclear, but we know the approach. It's with empty hands. Um, I mentioned at the, uh, earlier on that, that Watchman Nee was, um, that, that God has used some of his writings to really help in this, some of these thoughts today. And I want to read just a, a, short pass, a short paragraph that he wrote. Oh, to be wasted. It is a blessed thing to be wasted for the Lord. So many who have been prominent in the Christian world knew nothing of this. Many of us have been used to the full, have been used, I would say, too much, have been used, I would say, too much, but we do not know what it means to be wasted on God. We like to always be on the go. The Lord would sometimes prefer to have us in prison. We think in terms of apostolic journeys, God dares put his greatest ambassadors in chains. Speaking of Paul, you know, 
Paul uh, spent so many years in prison, uh, in jail. What a waste. And yet, what did God do through those times in Paul? He, he gave us so much of the New Testament through Paul's writings in those times. But we would look at maybe Paul's time in, pri- in, in prison and, and think that, that it was, you know, he's idle. He's just sitting around. Yet he was yielded. And because he was yielded, God did a mighty work. God did a mighty work in him and through him. Perhaps the path forward for our own lives personally, for our lives as Fresno Church, um, as part of Fresno Church, cannot be fully realized until our palms are raised to God. He's worthy of waste this morning. He's worthy of waste. And I know uh, um, it's not really a danger, but, but maybe sometimes some of us will come away from this message and we'll think, oh, okay, well, how can I, how can I be wasted on God? And, you know, we'll, we'll immediately turn it into some sort of, you know, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? And I understand that, and I struggle, I wrestle with that too, right? We want to know what are the steps to be wasted on God. Um, but I think it's bigger than that. Um, and I have to, I have to be able to um, relinquish that to the Spirit of God as he works it in you. As he works that into your life, what it means to be wasted upon him. And the best that I can, uh, the, the best that I can relay to you just as, as a human who God has spoken to, and I pray that he's speaking through, is that being wasted on God is more of an admission than an action. It is more of an admission that, God, you own all of me. There is no part of me, there is no, no a possession that I own that is outside of your ownership. You have it all. You have my finances, you have my energy, my wisdom. All of me is yours. And because of that, because of that, I have no I have no uh, reserves. It is all in your hands, and I simply present myself to you with palms up. That's the best that I can explain it, and I pray that, I pray that God will work that in you. Maybe not in this moment, but over the next days, weeks, and months. He is worthy of waste this morning. And Fresno Church, I, um, I, what I want for my life and for yours is that Our posture would be, God, it is all yours. I am all yours. You paid it all. I no longer owe. And I present my body to you, a living sacrifice. It's reasonable. It's reasonable, but but the price has been paid. Um, And I'm yours. And that's that's what I want to deliver you today, deliver to you today. And... uh, Lord willing, it will, he will minister to you through this in the days ahead. But uh, the future is bright for us. The future is bright for, for you because God is bright and he is in your future. The future is bright for Fresno Church as we yield ourselves to him. Um, the details of that he will work out in his time. And I can declare to you that that God is always previous. He's always previous to our current circumstance. And he knows the path ahead. So let us yield ourselves to him and waste ourselves upon him as Mary demonstrated. We're going to pray together this morning. Um, and this is just a symbol, uh, just a symbol. But if you, would, if you would pray with me, if you would hold out your hands, just open those palms. 
And there's no magic. This is not some sort of a, you know, a magic motion. This is simply a representation of what I've been preaching this morning and what we see in this story of this waste. And that Mary simply opened her hands and poured out all that she had, understanding that she was in God's ownership. Let's pray together this morning and ask God to work this in us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, the, st- the story of Mary is, um, Lord, it is remarkable. And the way that you elevated the significance to that of the gospel. Um, Lord, that should mean something to us. And so God, teach us through this what it means to be owned by God. I pray for uh, Fresno Church. Um, Lord, you love this place. You founded it. You sustained it. You're sustaining it in this very moment. And Lord, whatever lies ahead, Lord, uh, I trust that you will direct it. Lord, as, as each of these dear people approach you with open hands. Um, and so, Lord, um, I, I yield, Lord, this church to you. It was never really mine to yield, I understand that, but, but God, my, my involvement in, in this capacity is coming to an end, and so, God, I I know it is in good hands, Lord. It's always been in your hands. It's always been a product of your hands. And so, God, do your work. Accomplish it. And, Father, use whoever you want to use, whatever humans that you want to use, whichever of your children you want to direct, God, direct them. But, God, may our posture be one of open hands. Lord, I pray for each person in this room, Lord, in their personal lives. Lord, this is the approach. This is, this is the approach that you desire. Are we satisfying the Lord? He is satisfied with 100, all. And so, God, may we acknowledge that. May we admit, Lord. May we understand that our lives are all yours. And, God, so we come to you with open hands today. Lord, leave your mark. Do, do your work in us. And God, we may not be, we may be in a season of our lives where activity and and accomplishment and all of that may be put on pause. And that's okay. Because God, your work is deeper than activity. Your work is is not about uh, usefulness. It is about yieldedness. And so God, we yield to you. And Lord, we trust you for great things. I love you, God. I love these people. I love this church. Um, Thank you for the beautiful work that you've started. And Lord, we know that you will be faithful to complete it. And so we, we, we yield to you today. Lord, you're worthy of waste. You're worthy. We thank you in Jesus' name.